You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hi, guys. (laughs) I'm Jen. I'm the associate pastor here at Forefront Brooklyn. And this morning, I want to start out by telling you that I have had the pleasure lately of getting to know my landlady better. She lives on the first floor of the three-story building that we've lived in now for the last couple couple of years, actually. And we've just renewed our lease. We're going to move upstairs next weekend after church. It's going to be awesome. And um, we've been staying on this block for a couple of years now. And for someone like me who's been moving every year since I was 23, this is, this is a commitment to stay in one neighborhood. But it's been allowing us, my husband and I, to get to know our landlady better, to find out the history of the neighborhood. It's been great. And so she was telling us some stories about the history of, this is Park Slope, by the way, the history of Park Slope. And um, she was telling us that when the building was built back in the 1800s, this brick three-story building, it was for housing the people who worked in the much fancier brownstones closer to Prospect Park. And she was telling us that when she bought it in the 1990s, this was a neighborhood that, um, you know, it wasn't the open, kid-friendly, safe place that we all know Park Slope to be now. And many of you guys have told me the same thing, those Brooklynites who've been around for a while, that Fifth Avenue was not a place that you hung out at night, at night right? <laughs> yeah, the judges are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... So yeah, so imagine, you know, she walks into this building and they've got stained glass chandeliers and statues of the Mother Mary because it's owned by this um, Roman Catholic family that had four generations living in this building. And that was typical of the street. And everybody thought that she was crazy because here she was buying this beat up house and moving in there as a single woman to raise her two boys on her own. And we've heard stories like this, right? We've heard other stories about um, these old homes that people have redeveloped all over Brooklyn. Our friends Femi and Felicia Falabita back there, they told us a story one night over dinner about um, when they first got married, okay? Femi's a real estate developer. He does this for a living. But he took his new bride to, their, to a building they had just bought in Prospect Heights, and he told her, you know, I think this is the place where we, we should live. And, and Felicia's looking around, you know, there's a refrigerator and a motorcycle in the living room. I'm sure she thought, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but, you know, a couple of years later, after some really hard work, they turned it into this beautiful home where they could raise their family. And, yes, Felicia remembers walking past, like, chalk outlines of bodies, police outlines on the street. But now Prospect Heights has little coffee shops and restaurants starting to pop up, and they were a part of developing this neighborhood, of making it what it is today. So when I hear stories like that, I think of the word visionary, right? These are people who have a vision. They're the kind of people who can walk on into a, a beat-up old house and, and have a vision for what it's going to look like, not today and everything that's wrong with it, but what it could be in the future. They're futurists, in a sense, living fully in the present, but with this vision for what, what's to come. And yeah, we could have a bunch of conversations about gentrification and all that, but I'm not an expert on those things. So what I want us to focus in on this morning is vision. Because vision is what I think of when I read chapter 2 of the book of Acts. I think about how this day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost, how it marked an event when the church became unified by a vision of what the future could look like. And what a powerful vision it is to to be driven by this view of God's kingdom. It's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit of Christ alive inside his followers that gives them the strength to live out this vision for the kingdom here on earth. So what about you? What is the vision that's driving your life? 
You know, we say as a community that we um, are here to, uh, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking on what our vision is. (laughs) (laughs) Lives, neighborhoods in our city through the power of Jesus. We talk all about renewal and restoration, right? Okay, we're all about that as a church. But what about you individually? What are the values and the vision of your life? What are you living into today? How did the values and priorities of how you live today reflect a vision you're living for for the future? I think artists are a perfect example of that, right? Artists um, are people who move here to pursue a craft, right? And they're living with three roommates and they're working four jobs, but they're doing it with this future in mind where they'll be thriving as artists who are impacting the world with their art. And when I think of visionaries, I think of my friend Allie, who, who's really been molded by her values and priorities in life. She was raised by two deaf parents. And for the last couple of years, she's been working at bakeries and restaurants as she studies for her LSAT and prepares to go to law school. Also, she can be a civil rights lawyer and advocate for the deaf community. I mean, what a beautiful example of someone who's living for their vision and values, right? But what about you? I mean, maybe you're sitting in this room today and you're frustrated by this conversation. Maybe you have been praying and waiting and working, trying to figure out what God's vision is for your life. And this whole conversation is just exhausting because it's what you're constantly asking. It's why you come to church, hoping that someone will say something to just make it all come together. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're sick. You're not physically well, and so you're putting all of your energy not into thinking about the future, but just trying to live day to day. Maybe you're unemployed, you're stuck in a dead-end job, you're just plain sick of being single, whatever the rut is that you're stuck in. If that's you, and you're feeling frustrated by this idea of talking about vision right now, well, I hear you. I feel you. I have been there, too. I think we probably all have been at times. For me, uh, that was when I was 26. I was thinking about it because just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated a friend's 26th birthday, and we were swapping stories about who we were and what our lives looked like at that time. And that was a time for me of a lot of questions, when this vision that I thought I had for my future um, wasn't what I wanted anymore, and I didn't know what I did want, and I didn't know what God wanted for me. And that was a whole new question for me to even ask that. Um, There was a lot of questions, a lot of waiting and wondering and and praying that went on through that season. And when I last spoke a couple weeks ago, I preached on uh, chapter one of the book of Acts, okay? We talked about how Jesus ascended up into heaven. We reviewed it last week, in fact. And right before he went back into heaven, he left his disciples with a vision, right? With a mission that he wanted them to carry out here on earth. He wanted them to stay put here in Jerusalem and wait, Just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And when it does, you'll receive power. And that power will um, allow you to witness for me throughout the world, starting right there in Jerusalem. But first, got to wait. And that must have been pretty frustrating for the disciples to hear. You know, in the timeline of things, that event, Jesus ascending into into heaven, that happened about 10 days ago, okay? So it's been 10 days that they're sitting in Jerusalem, praying and waiting and worshiping and wondering when this gift of the Spirit is going to arrive. And remember, these are the guys who, who gave up everything for Jesus. They gave up their careers, their lives, their families, their hometowns, so that they could follow him in ministry. They had this vision for what, what God's kingdom was going to look like on earth, and I don't think that it included death on the cross 
or, you know, his return, or the ascension into heaven, I think it's pretty safe to say that all of this, this whole story, has left them pretty confused at this point. So maybe you can relate to that. Then here we are, sitting in this room in Jerusalem with the disciples, and something happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so let's stop here for a second. Let's look at the first verse. When the day of Pentecost came. So we as Christians, we know Pentecost now as this day when the church was first born, right? When the church first came to be. But the Jews would know Pentecost as a festival. They're all coming to Jerusalem with their first fruits of their harvest. Coming with these, um, this bounty to lay in the temple before God to tell him, thank you for how you've provided for us, and we pray that you'll continue to provide for us into the future. That's what Pentecost is about. It happens uh, 50 days after Passover, Penta 50, that's where that comes from. But it wasn't just a farming festival. It was also a day when the Jews remembered um, the covenant that God created with the people of Israel by giving Moses the commandments, the laws, right? And so this is the day that they honor and remember that, that blessing of God to their people in the past and how he'll continue to bless them in the future. And this is the day that God chooses to begin the next chapter of his story, right? So picture the setting. Figure it's like, I don't know, like the first day of spring in Central Park or like Times Square on New Year's Eve. It's that full of different cultures and languages and so diverse, so many different kinds of people all in Jerusalem for this festival, right? And now here are these 120 disciples all gathered in this room. So I guess it must have been kind of a big room, right? And they're praying and they're waiting and they're seeking, right? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And when it comes with this fire and this passion and this wind, it fills them so full of the Spirit, so full of this power and passion that they then go out and they witness for Christ right there in Jerusalem. And by the end of the day, 3,000 people have been baptized. 3,000 people joined the church on that day. So it's kind of like these are the first fruits of the church, right? We're getting this foretaste of what's to come. It's a vision, a glimpse of how the kingdom will be lived out through this one unified body of people, these individuals coming together from different cultures and languages and customs who are communicating and alive in the presence of the Lord, being filled up with a foretaste of what it will look like when heaven and earth meet, when the kingdom of God is recognized here on earth. Such an incredible story. There's a lot going on here, right? There's the wind and the fire. It's kind of a lot for us to comprehend. You know, I grew up in tornado country where people talk a lot about extreme weather and forces of nature. So maybe you guys have heard this description before too, that when a tornado is coming, it sounds like a thousand freight trains hurtling down on your house. That's what I imagine this wind sound must have been like. It's literally my worst nightmare. Completely terrifying. And yet, throughout the Bible, we see different um, stories where God's voice or his spirit descends down on his people through these kind of phenomenons of weather, right? I mean, perfect example is Moses receiving the commandments up on the mountain, surrounded by the storm cloud. Same thing. And yet, it's not. Because this is a little bit different. This time, he's not sending down these flames um, on the people as a collective group. But rather, verse 3 tells us, Tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. 
Now, the Greek word used there suggests that the fire was seen distributing itself to each individual person in the room, okay? Jesus had instructed them to stay in Jerusalem, to be together. I think he wanted them to be together in this room so that the magnitude, the impact, could really be felt. But he was unveiling this new vision through this, a vision for his people who were entering a new phase, a new testament, a new era, right? In the past, there would have been a pillar of fire that might have appeared to the people of Israel. But now, this fire is alive in each individual person. And it's through belief in the resurrected Christ that this fire, this vision of the future church, comes to each one of us individually, just as it was alive in the individual person of Jesus. And now you'll see, going forward from this event, that the people are now called the body of Christ, No longer are they just the people of Israel, but they're united as people who believe and follow in Jesus Christ. How strange and how beautiful is it that God would use these events to get his message across to his people? For the first time in history, he's not just using kings and prophets and priests like he would have done in the Old Testament. Now he's in this new era where he's using all people for ministry and all their gifts and their diversity. It doesn't matter what your gender, your age, or your social position is. This is our God at work in a way that gives a clear vision of what he desires for his church. As a result of Pentecost, a person no longer had to go into the temple to seek God. In verse 36, we later learn that now to believe in Jesus Christ means that you have a bit of the spirit dwelling inside of you, that you are now the temple, and that people have the opportunity to get to know God through you. It's God extending his promise to fulfill the kingdom through the people of Israel, reaching out to the, to the rest of the world, to the ends of the world, and renewing the human race through the good news of the risen Christ. I love the way that um, the scholar and retired Anglican bishop N.T. Wright, how he talks about this relationship between the ascension and between Pentecost, because you can't have one without the other. He writes, The early Christians, like their Jewish contemporaries, saw heaven and earth as overlapping and interlocking spheres of God's good creation, with the point being that heaven is the control room from which earth is run. To say that Jesus is now in heaven is to say three things. First, that he is present with his people everywhere no longer confined to one space-time location within Earth, but certainly not absent. Second, that he is now the managing director of this strange show called Earth, though like many incoming chief executives, he has quite a lot of work to do to sort it out and turn it around. Third, that he will one day bring heaven and Earth together as one, becoming therefore personally present to us once more within God's new creation. The Bible doesn't say much about our going to heaven. It says a lot about heaven and particularly heaven's chief inhabitant coming back to earth. So you see, Pentecost is about this powerful presence of Jesus within his people. It's about the implementation of his healing, saving rule, renewing his people here on earth. It's this vision, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ alive inside of his followers, that gives them the strength to live out this vision for the kingdom, to bring renewal and restoration to earth. And it's the most multicultural and diverse worship service probably ever. I mean, if you wonder why we embrace diversity here at Forefront, it's because of scripture just like this, right? We see here that it's not that now everyone is, you know, speaking the same language. That's not what it says. They're all speaking their own individual languages, but they can understand each other. They're communicating because now their communication is based on something deeper and Luke is really specific here. He, he's very intentional about telling us that um, the list of different cultures that are, that are present for this. 
In fact, I have a map of all the different places that he lists out. He talks about, you know, Asia, Cyrene, Egypt, Rome, Cretans, Arabs. It's all there. And so what does this mean? That's what they're all asking. What does this mean? I think that this means that your identity is now based in something more. It's because it's, it's suggesting that Christ came to restore our human community, to restore our individual lives, not just because of our individual sins or our own individual lives, but because of a collective whole, this new humanity. This church, this humanity allows for diversity because it's unified under a foundation of the risen Christ. Pentecost is teaching us this vision that we're seeking is one where we get a glimpse of it right here in Jerusalem and these first fruits of a new humanity that's born and unified through the cross. And so what does that mean for us today? Because, I mean, the disciples in this passage, they go on to get these healing powers, right? They can perform miracles, and they're these incredible people who go out and build the church and endure so much. So how do, we, how do we learn something from this today? What does it look like for us to have the presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us? And so that's, that's my question to you. What does it feel like for you when you feel in tune with God, when you feel connected and alive and present with the Spirit? We talk about the fruits, right? Goodness, kindness, love, the fruits of the Spirit. When you're alive in the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you're alive with God, you're more gracious, you're more compassionate, you're more generous. These things just kind of flow out of you, right? It's why we see these, these disciples who were once so stuck trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing next. And now, with the Spirit inside of them, they're mobilizing, they're picking leaders, they're baptizing people. They're, like, unstoppable now. We might not have those same gifts, but yet we still have the opportunity to live alive with the Spirit not just as individuals, but as a church, as a whole church. And if you continue to read the book of Acts, you see that um, in the first 13 chapters alone, there are more than 40 references to the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit-led church. Everything they do is, is with the Holy Spirit present there with them. That's where they find their power, just as we should still today. So if you want to learn more about what the Spirit looks like in your life, I encourage you guys to just look at how the New Testament authors speak about the Holy Spirit. There are 10 primary verbs that I found that express the work of the Holy Spirit in and through and among us. And it's on the screen, actually, this list, both in English and in Greek. The Holy Spirit teaches, reminds, guides, illuminates, convicts. The Spirit testifies, searches, helps, intercedes, fills. So take a moment and just look through that list. In this season that you're in in your life right now, what do you, what do you feel the Spirit is doing in your life? How do you feel it's calling you or moving you? Do you feel um, a connection to one of these words stronger than the others? I think for me that word is irauna, searches. Ben and I were recently talking about how working in ministry for three years now, we kind of we see seasons or phases of life that people go through. And it's hard because when you watch your friend in a dark season of life, you can see maybe for them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, this too shall pass. But sometimes we're in the, the deep of it, in the mud, we can't see that for ourselves. And yet when we pass through it, it's always on hindsight that we look back and realize, yeah, you know, maybe that was a time when I felt closest to God. 
Because it's in those dark places, those dark nights of the soul, that we find ourselves giving away from our human limitations and embracing a higher power. Finally able to allow the spirit to fill us or to search us or to move in us however is needed. When I was 26, in that dark time for myself, I think I realized that I needed to embrace forgiveness and compassion. And those were the things that I started to ask and question and wonder. And it's these questions, right? We talk so much about questions around here because they're really important. It's these questions that move us further into the spirit, closer to God. It's in Paul's words to the church in Corinth that we learn that God reveals things to us by his spirit. So in 1 Corinthians, he writes, The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And I love that because the word searches in this verse, it's a continuing action. It means to examine through questioning with a, with a root word that means to speak. Questions and speaking and flowing and back and forth. I get this, right? This is how the spirit feels alive in us as we move closer to God. The Spirit is constantly searching God's deep love for us, constantly searching and challenging us back and forth. It's through these questions that we grow closer. And yet, most Christians I know, including myself, we have a tendency to live in the presence of the Spirit on and off, right? We get stuck in our own sin, our low expectations, our egos hold us back. Not to mention the fact that sometimes we just get distracted. Our lives are busy, and we forget to turn to God especially when things are going well. So what is it in your life right now that's holding you back? What is it on this Pentecost Sunday that you can ask the Spirit to speak into, to move into in your life? How do you see the fruits of the Spirit flowing out of your life? How are you allowing the Spirit to channel and shape your gifts and your passions and your vision for the future? Pentecost offers us this chance to confess our failure, to live by the Spirit, and to ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his power and his vision. It's in this vision, this indwelling, living in the presence of the Spirit, that that's how we have the strength to live out this this vision of bringing the kingdom to earth, of renewing and restoring lives, neighborhoods, and our city, right? And this is why knowing God's word is so important. We talk about disciplines around here a lot, spiritual formation, because these disciplines of scripture reading are really important. You see, the Spirit's never going to move us to do something that goes against God's word. But how will we discern what his word is if we don't know scripture, if we're not educated and learning and growing in scripture, right? How do you know good from bad, right from wrong, if you don't know God's word? And likewise with prayer. Prayer is the ways in which we start to find how the Spirit is searching us and and calling us to implement the words that we're reading in Scripture. Prayer is how we um, start to see how the Spirit is moving in our lives. And this is why community is so important. Because it's in sharing our story and having conversations with other people, other believers in the body of Christ, that we start to see how the Spirit is moving in us as a community, shaping and shifting and using our gifts to live out this vision for the kingdom here on earth. This is how we're unified, through one Son, through Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for each one of us, so that we might stand in this community thousands of years later, Not in our sin, not condemned, but alive and refined by the Spirit of God, by the presence of God. This is why Pentecost is so important for us. It's how people will know God through the people of his church. And so this morning, as we move into a time of communion, I want to invite the band to come back up here. 
And I want to encourage you guys as individuals to take some time to sit and pray as this one unified body of Christ. And when you're ready, we'll come up to the front and you'll take the cracker and the juice that represent the body and the blood. And I want to leave this list of um, verbs on the screen and encourage you guys to just pray through. How is the Spirit moving in your life? What do you need to ask the Spirit to do? What do you need to let die in your life so that you make more room for God's presence, so that you might live into this vision that he's calling for your life and for our church? Amen.